You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On today's show, we sit down with Dr. Shiva Kintali. He is the founder and CEO of Euler Chain, TrueDat Inc. And before starting TrueDat Inc., he taught in the computer science department at Princeton University for four years. He's a frequent public speaker on AI, blockchain, cryptography, and game theory, and their socioeconomics and cultural impact. On today's show, we talk about what is the social media censorship problem? What is decentralized identity and why is it important? And how is artificial intelligence being used to divide people on their viewpoints? This is much more today's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast. Now let's begin. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. All right, I'm very excited for today's guest on the Silicon Valley podcast. I've known Shiva now for years. He's been a huge, huge help in Silicon Valley, the ecosystem, helping startups. If you're involved in blockchain, you know this gentleman. Shiva, thank you for taking the time today to be on the show. And could you give our listeners a little bit of your background up until this point? Yeah, thank you, Sean, for having me. I moved to Bay Area around five years ago. And before that, I was teaching at Princeton, Princeton University in the computer science department. And before that, I did my PhD from Georgia Tech. And prior to that, I was a software engineer. And prior to that, I did my undergraduate from IIT Kharagpur. And then let's talk about a little bit what you're doing right now, a little bit what's happening in social media that's affecting everyone. How is social media censorship, I mean, it's in the news. How is that a problem right now? It is a very major problem, Sean. For example, if you follow news almost every single day, you will notice at least one example, one very major example about online censorship, whether it is someone getting deplatformed or someone getting silenced or some government banning social media or some social media banning the government. In fact, I am getting exhausted almost every single day looking at these news and compiling them and organizing them to categories. What is censorship? What is deplatforming? And what is silencing? So it has become a very big problem in the last two years, especially. It was a problem before too, but people did not notice because there was no high-profile censorships. But since October last year, people are noticing outright that there are several examples of censorship and deplatforming. And of course, the famous example is Trump getting deplatformed on Twitter. And that's only one example. If you look at very recent examples, there are examples of Nobel laureates getting deplatformed on YouTube. And there are examples of inventor of mRNA vaccine getting deplatformed on LinkedIn. So there are several examples like that. So the main problem here is, if you look at many of the discussions that we're having online, these are very important discussions from multiple perspectives. Some of them are socioeconomic issues, some of them are about socioeconomic issues, and some of them are about political issues, and recently some of them are about medical issues. For example, people try to talk about this lab theory hypothesis around almost one year ago, and they were deplatformed because they said that this is a conspiracy theory. But now if you look at the lab theory hypothesis, it's becoming the most prominent 
a hypothesis in the covid discussion area right similarly if you look at ivermectin that's a new discussion that is coming up and it's already being shadow banned and deplatformed so the problem here is unless and until we actually discuss these problems and come up with a discuss the pros and cons and convert them to a proper solution there's no other way to know what is the right solution whether it is lab leak theory or a solution to a global pandemic crisis so going back to some people getting pushed off social media how are these guidelines being created right now there are no clear guidelines here that's one of the problems if you look at some of the reasons given for deplatforming these famous people they are very vague for example recently there was a famous personality he was deplatformed on twitter and the reason he got was spam and he said that the reason was he is spamming and he also created multiple accounts but he was saying that he has only one account so the reasons are often biased and contradictory but if you look at their tweets most of the people assume that they were deplatformed because their tweets or their narrative doesn't fit into their global narrative of whatever biases the platform them owners have so that's one of the major problems here people assume that the platform twitter platform itself has some bias and they want, they are banning everything that doesn't fit their narrative so there are no clear guidelines that's one of the problems and if you list all the people who got deplatformed and the corresponding reasons you'll actually laugh at them saying that okay these are not the actual reasons that they got deplatformed the reasons are maybe that they did not fit into the global narrative whatever that narrative is right now there seems to be a divide between the government and these big tech giants what is happening there and in your opinion is the fight between kind of the, the regulators and that a good thing or a bad thing so first let's understand what is the fight right the fight is that the governments are saying that the big tech has too much of control on people's voices which is true and the social media is saying that we need freedom to make our own decisions let's look at the history right how did these social media networks started uh, how did they start they started around maybe 15 years ago as a simple communications tool post your family photos and so on but quickly they became tools for discussing socio economic problems political problems and all kinds of issues right and they became a de facto model of communication for discussing anything online but the main thing to keep in mind here is that facebook and twitter they are private companies right so they are not the government and anything that violates their terms of service they have the right to delete or they have the right to deplatform someone right so in that sense they are not wrong technically speaking they are not wrong but if you look at the government side if you look at the us government or the nigerian government or indian government most of these government officials are using these platforms to communicate to their citizens in official manner right whether to broadcast their opinions or their news or any of their uh, you know discussions for example if they want to discuss a particular problem with their citizens they simply post it on youtube or on facebook or twitter so before the existence of internet government officials used to call people into a public square and then give a speech right now they don't have to do that they do it on on the social media platforms 
they moved from public squares, which are physical public parks and other open spaces in the physical world, to online spaces. In the real world, these public parks are controlled by the government. That means they are public property. But now they are using this private communication tool, communication tools that are owned by private companies. So that shift is the problem. And that is what is creating the, all this friction between the government and big tech companies. So over the years, it sounds like the way that we've received news has changed quite a bit. Uh, you talked about things happening in the public square. Now it's all virtual. I mean, in your mind, how has this kind of shift happened? What should we be expecting moving forward? The shift happened kind of very quickly in the sense that people started using uh, social media to post their photos or breakfast photos. And then they noticed that they can also communicate other political views. And then it's a kind of a shortcut for the companies to build a centralized communication platform. And that's what they did. Facebook and Twitter, they are centralized communication tools. And they quickly wrote some terms of service saying that these are the types of content that is allowed. These are the type of content that we do not allow. Right? But they are still controlled by the private companies. There are only few people who are making decisions there. And as, as we know, if whenever we have a handful of people making decisions, their political biases and the socioeconomic biases come into picture. And without they knowing what they're doing, sometimes they make decisions for everyone. Because sometimes we don't know what our biases are. So the long-term solution is to emulate the public square model online. And the best way to do that is to use decentralized infrastructure. That means an infrastructure that is not controlled by any central company. So let's talk about technology a little bit and how that could be altering the news that people get. And what I mean by that is artificial intelligence, it understands what you want. It sends you more of that. How is the more and more implementation of artificial intelligence, how is that creating a bigger and bigger divide among people? So once you keep watching these videos, the artificial intelligence behind YouTube assumes that you are interested in this type of content. And it will keep recommending you more and more content of similar tone and similar opinions, assuming that you, you will watch them more and they can make more money of advertisement. And then over a period of time, the algorithmic bias is so biased towards whatever you started with that you will never see the alternate version, the opposite side of the argument. Because YouTube is, it's not in YouTube's interest to show you the other side of the argument. It's in their interest to show you as many videos and make you consume those videos and spend as much time as possible. So that is the side effect of AI. Sometimes this, these recommendations are useful. For example, if you are on Amazon, and if you are buying t-shirts, and if it is showing similar t-shirts, then you don't mind. In fact, most of the purchases people do are through these recommendations and we find amazing products online. I noticed recently that I'm buying more stuff uh, that are recommended to me based on my previous purchases. So on Amazon, it's kind of harmless. But when you're talking about socioeconomic and political uh, videos, it's very dangerous because it's creating the divide and it's showing you only one side of the argument. And that creates filter bubbles where you only see and confirm your beliefs and you never see the other side of the picture. I would say those recommendations on Amazon are kind of dangerous. I mean, yeah, they, they make you shopaholic. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that, they don't have bigger socioeconomic effects. 
I do think it's funny though on YouTube. I remember I was looking at my buddy's computer and the videos that were recommended to him were literally the same that were in mine. <laughs> and I was looking at it going, whoa, Rick, I didn't know you that well, but I, you know, I got a feeling we're going to be besties. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how, you know, the algorithm kind of picked these for him and me. And this was, wasn't like we were sitting down next to each other on the same computer at the same time. This was, I remember those videos. And then weeks later, I'm looking at his computer, seeing it pop up on the right-hand side. And it was kind of eerie, actually. Yeah, they also use something called collaborative filtering. So that means that if two people watch similar videos, they look at each other's videos and then recommend the videos to each other. Mm. So similarly, in, on Amazon too, people look at what other people bought and they show you their related videos or the clothes bought by other person. How do you think this affects people's psychology? And what I mean by that is, I mean, we'd mentioned that the divide, it, it keeps giving you the same information that it thinks that you're going to watch that you're liking. My world, my bubble is getting smaller and smaller because I'm only being introduced to you know, that content that maybe I liked a long time ago that maybe I've never had the opportunity to actually change what I like now because I haven't been introduced to anything new. How do you think society in years to come as our new experiences are going to get less and less, are going to have opinions on things. If you notice, people are also having, people are making decisions very quickly. That means their attention span is reducing. They listen a little bit here. They watch a little bit of video there. And then they want to make some major decisions based on those. So it's very tough to grab people's attention in that short span and tell them anything meaningful. And on top of that, we have these recommendation algorithms, which will bombard you with the same information that you watch, the same with the same biases. So one way to solve this problem is by creating content that shows you both sides of the argument. For example, when you're listening to your podcast, where there is a host and the host is expressing his or her opinions, and then you invite another host with a different opinion. So as in the more hosts the more guests you bring in with different perspectives, the more perspectives that you see. So that works in long-form communication like podcasts and long-form YouTube videos. But in the short-form articles, it's up to the user. The user, the consumer must make these decisions. Make sure that when you subscribe to the channels, make sure that you're subscribing both to the both sides of the argument. For example, make sure that you're listening to the lab leak theory and also the ones that are against the lab leak theory. It's up to the consumer to make those choices. Sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work. In fact, that is the problem right now because people are not willing to put that extra effort and whatever they see the first time, they stick with it. And over a period of time, they watch maybe 10 or 20 videos. And then funny thing happens that their ego comes in. Once they already believe in something, even if you show like 10 more videos with the opposing view, their ego comes in and they don't want to change their perspective anymore. Even, even when you show the proof that something is correct or something is incorrect. That's interesting how if you put that base and belief, how much harder it is to actually change anything later on. That's scary, actually. It is scary. It is scary. In fact, even I learned in the last one year that I had lots of biases and that I was not even aware of. It's only by looking, you know, consciously looking at the other side of the argument that I learned a lot. For example, my famous example is UBI. So I didn't know whether UBI was good or bad. 
Wait, Shiva, tell us what UBA means for our, our listeners. Uh, UBI stands for Universal Basic Income. So I did not know whether it is good for the society or, the, or bad for the society. I had to consciously read lots of articles and YouTube videos uh, explaining. Some people say YouTube uh, UBI is bad. So I consciously listened to them and made, my, made notes. And some people said that UBI is good. So I had to listen to them and make my notes again. And make sure that I look at both the arguments. UBA is good and UBA is bad. And then make my own decision. Unless you look at the both, both the sides, you don't know what you're missing. And you don't know what you'll discover. In fact, these days I'm noticing that if someone already agrees with me, I don't listen to them much. You know, I don't spend more time listening to them because I know that I already agree with them. If somebody does not agree with me, I want to listen to them more. They want to see the other side of the argument and see what I'm missing. That's a good way to see both the sides and maybe learn more and enlighten yourself. I'm really curious what your final verdict was after comparing both sides, but I don't want this to be a political conversation. So, In fact, uh, I still haven't made up my mind. Initially, I assumed that UBI was good. And then after watching more content, I definitely made up my mind that UBI is bad. And now I'm again having second thoughts. So what I my, my final conclusion is that UBI is good if it is implemented properly. There are lots of nuances and if it's implemented beautifully, I mean, if it's implemented properly, then we can see a beautiful world. But if it's implemented badly without, you know, in a very hasty manner, then it can lead to very unintended consequences. Everyone heard that right here. She was running for president in 2024. <laughs> that was the most political answer that I've ever heard. It's got this good it's got this bad it's got i take no responsibility on any of my decisions so with that a decision you did did make in the past was the company that you're working on you built your product on the euler chain first off can you talk a little about blockchain technology why you decided to use that but even before that tell us a little bit about this product tell us a little bit about what you're working on and all that and now we can go into a lot more detail later on but just you know segue into that yeah, so the main point I was making earlier was that these communication platforms were uh, controlled by a centralized company. For example, Twitter is com controlled by Twitter Incorporation. Facebook is controlled by Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram are controlled by Facebook Incorporation. YouTube is controlled by Google and so on. So the right solution to build a public square is to build infrastructure that is not controlled by anyone. That means the content is not stored on any centralized servers. Whenever you post something, it should be stored on maybe thousands of computers across the world so that no single entity can ban it unilaterally. And blockchain comes very naturally there where you have some kind of public key uh, cryptography built into it. And people can sign their posts, whether it is a text post or an image post or a video or an audio file. So that is how you prove that you posted that, that file or that content. And once it is posted, it's out there on thousands of servers across the, uh, across the world and no one can delete it. So if you are a president, for example, or a global leader, no one can delete your speech or your thoughts or your opinions. Okay, so that's why the blockchain. Why the Euler chain? Blockchain is a very general uh, concept where one of the first implementations of blockchain is Bitcoin, where the 
main idea there is to transfer value so it's a peer to peer currency in our case we want to store a speech whether it is text or images or video right so we have to make we have to build a new infrastructure where instead of signing a number which is the number of bitcoins that you are transferring from from person a to person b you are actually signing a message we have to new build a new infrastructure for that and that's what euler chain is euler chain is a decentralized protocol which enables anyone to sign any content and post it on the blockchain and we called it euler chain after the famous mathematician leonard euler he is one of the most prolific uh, mathematician and definitely my favorite and a favorite of many other mathematicians too i like it when you have your own favorite mathematician yeah, <laughs> yeah i do so even before that what is it that you're solving what is your company let's make it very simple let's say you're only posting 250 characters and you're posting your thoughts whether it's your opinion or political narrative or whatever and when you post it we don't want anyone to delete that that's the first problem we want to solve and also other people should know that you posted it so that those are the only two requirements so the way to solve the ownership problem is by using public key cryptography so you have your public key and you have your private key and you own those two and they are not stored on any centralized server and whatever you want to say you write it in text and sign it using your public key and private key and you broadcast on the euler chain network and once you broadcast it all the nodes in the network the individual servers in the euler chain network they grab your signed message and they store it on thousands of servers across the world so that means here there is no twitter there is no facebook there is no in fact i say that this is a protocol without any zack or zuck uh, because there is no there is no ceo here it's just the protocol that is storing the content on multiple places so with this we solve two problems one is proving that it is you who posted the content you can prove it by signing using public key and private key and it cannot be deleted by twitter or facebook or any single person even in fact if you post something on euler chain uh, calling me names on euler chain i cannot delete it even i cannot delete it uh, it's decentralized already i might have to take you up on that challenge then <laughs> please don't <laughs> but but chiva why is that decentralized part that decentralized identity why is that so important especially now it's very important because if you look at the people that are getting banned on a twitter and linkedin i i mentioned these people some of them are government officials some of them are nobel laureates some of them are very famous doctors they spent lot of time for example creating a linkedin profile and getting thousands of followers and creating lot of content and overnight their channel is gone just like that all their content is gone so that's because your identity is owned by linkedin similarly on twitter your identity is owned by by the twitter and corporation so if you have your public key and private key no one can take that from you you keep your private key secret and you can post your public key on your website and say that this is me this is shawn and this is my public key and look out for my messages and i'll sign my messages using this public key and my 
private key. And no one can take that away from you. No one can delete it from a centralized server because they are not stored on the centralized, on any centralized server. And that's one reason. And the second reason is it also prevents these massive hacks. Unless you leak your private key, no one can hack your account because every time you post, you need your private key to sign your message. So for example, there was a massive Twitter hack last year where Twitter profiles of very high profile politicians were hacked by a scammer and the scammer was able to post posts uh, on behalf of these personalities, including Joe Biden and other famous personalities. So that kind of massive attack cannot happen if we have decentralized identity. Because if this person, this hacker wants to attack thousand people, he must steal the private keys of each individual person. Maybe you stored your private key in a in a vault and some other person stored the private key in a bank vault and in different places, right? It becomes very hard to have this kind of centralized attack. So Shiva, you said that accounts aren't going to be able to be hacked anymore because of this. Is, is that correct? It is correct because it is your responsibilities to to store your private keys. The only way your account can be hacked is if you give your private key to someone or if you accidentally leaked it somewhere online. In fact, that's why Bitcoin is very uh, appealing, right? Because there is no bank that can shut down your account. You own your private keys. Similarly, on our uh, platform, when you create an account, you get a seed phrase which has your uh, private key. And I don't know what your seed phrase is. For example, let's say tomorrow you lost that seed phrase and come back to me and say that, hey, Shiva, you are the CEO of this company. Can you let me through? I cannot because there is no way to know what your seed phrase is. And the number of possibilities of that seed phrase is more than the number of atoms in the visible universe. So I don't know what your seed phrase is and there is no way to uh, attack it in a brute force manner. So I got to ask on this, I'm really curious about, so you have this decentralized system. You have the company that has no control over what gets posted, what's not. How, how is money being raised for the company? What's the revenue model? Is it because in the future there's going to be so many sponsors, so many ads, and the, the advertisers are going to say, hey, listen, this platform, they can't have fake Nike post stuff for us. They can only, we're the only ones that are able to do it. Like what's going to be the appeal to the big corporations to use this platform? What's going to be the revenue for this platform moving forward? So that is a really interesting question because as you observe, we don't own the protocol in the sense that the protocol is open and anyone can use it and anyone can run a computer node and start validating these transactions and signed messages. And the protocol is already released to the public and it's unstoppable. So why, what are we doing? Why, why are we even required? The point here is even though the protocol is released, there is always a front end that allows you to communicate with the protocol. The best example is to look at the email protocol. If you look at email, there is an underlying protocol and that protocol is unstoppable. You can send me an email from your command line prompt on your computer. 
you don't need Gmail, you don't need Outlook. But we still use Gmail. So Gmail is giving you an interface to this email protocol. And Gmail is making money on it. They gave you a front end and that is a product. But you don't have to use their front end. Similarly, we have this toilet chain protocol. And on top of that, we build this Freebits platform. Anyone can build this Freebits platform that posts users post onto the Euler chain protocol. And the more features this frontend has, the better. So we believe that our frontend is better in the sense that it's more intuitive and it gives more easier ways to comment on other posts, easier ways to watch videos or easier ways to discover content and so on. And that's where the value comes in. So once we user sees the value in the front end, they'll invest some time using the front end. Going forward, our we don't want to deviate from our mission. Our mission is to build this decentralized infrastructure. And we also want to do it in a very privacy-preserving manner. So if we decide to show you some ads, they'll be completely privacy-preserving. That means we don't know who you are and we don't know what your interests are. We'll show you maybe some ads that are very generic, very similar to old radio ads, where they don't know who you are, but they just show you some generic ads, right? So that's a way of one way of making money without intruding into the people's personal lives. Okay, so now I have to ask, how are these big giants, how are they maximizing revenue, maximizing profit? As they're gathering more and more information, they realize that they can serve more ads. For example, let's say they notice that you're at an airport and they notice that, okay, maybe I can recommend some coffee shop in, in an airport. The more data that they, they're collecting, the more greedy they are becoming. In fact, if you sign up on our platform, you will see that we don't ask you for anything. The only thing we ask you is your email address. And we have plans to eliminate that also. And the only reason we ask your email address is to reset your password to the front-end platform. And in fact, if you look at other platforms that were attacked just yesterday, they claim to be a new type of social network. They leaked some of, uh, some hackers leaked uh, 100,000 users' data from their social network. And they're also collecting phone numbers, location. I don't know why, right? If it is just a communication platform, why did they collect your location? Our philosophy is collect less data and preserve users' privacy. That's fascinating. You had an amazing job at Princeton University. Why give that up to do a startup? If you look at transition in technology, if you look at 1990s, there was the rise of the internet and everything was getting connected on online and the world was becoming a smaller and smaller place because people can connect with each other fast and they can communicate with each other in a more efficient manner. So that shift happened once where everything that can be done offline in the real world went online, including buying pet food. Now, a similar transition is happening to the internet now. It's the transition is happening from the centralized infrastructure to the decentralized infrastructure. And that is disrupting many, many old business models, including social media networks, including the search engines, including banks. Like that's a very big opportunity. It's called the decentralized finance, DeFi. And that's changing the way we think. And I noticed this back in 2010 when I was still a graduate student at Georgia Tech. Notice that this shift, again, will only happen once. Once we see the beauty of decentralization, we'll never go back. 
just like once we saw the beauty of online shopping, we are never going back. So that's when I decided, okay, I should jump into this. And this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I'm at the right age, I think. And I thought I should definitely take advantage of this and solve the problems that I'm really interested in. And I noticed that especially this decentralized infrastructure, they can solve many problems that I'm really interested in. So free speech is only one problem that I'm interested in, but there are other problems. For example, your credentials. Right now, your, our credentials, let's say undergraduate credentials, master's credentials or PhD credentials, they're all stored in a centralized servers. And that can be, again, decentralized. The storage can be decentralized. For example, your videos or audio content, that can be decentralized. So that tomorrow when you wake up, you don't have to have this constant fear that maybe I said something wrong on YouTube and YouTube canceled my account and all your data is lost. So this shift from centralized to decentralized is really exciting to me. And that's what really motivated me to leave Princeton and start my own startup and you know, dedicate the rest of my life into solving these problems. I'm very excited. So you haven't regretted it at all? No, not, not at all, actually. In fact, I'm, to tell you frankly, I'm regretting. Maybe my colleagues will hate me for this. I'm regretting that I didn't leave Princeton earlier. Maybe I should have left uh, in 2012. I mean, Strong words, strong <laughs> words. I'm, I'm sure we're, we're going to be uh, deleted from many people's playlist right now. <laughs> but Shiva, this was an amazing interview. Anyone wants to find out more information about you, what you're working on, what's the best way to go about doing it? Best way to contact me is the platform itself. Go to freebits.app forward slash Shiva. So that's where I post my thoughts and I'm investing my time into putting all my social media content on a decentralized platform like Freebits. So that's where you can contact me, freebits.app slash Shiva. We're going to have that information in the show notes. And for everyone out there, a uh, little shameless plug on myself. I am a principal at Global Capital Markets when I'm not doing this podcast. So if anyone's out there that's in the mid-market, that's looking to a merger acquisition, looking to raise growth capital or that, please email me at sf at globalcapitalmarkets.com. And with that, I want to thank Shiva for your time today on the Silicon Valley podcast. I look forward to having you on the show again. For everyone out there, what's the platform one more time that they should sign up? get their subscription and start using instead of some of these other big ones out there? It's www.3bits.app. Fantastic. All right, Shiva. Thank you again for being a guest here on the Silicon Valley podcast. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley podcast. To access our resources, visit us at the siliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.